Look who we got here in the building, Jacob Sparks. How are you doing, brother? Very good, my fellow Jacob. <laughs> Jacob doing, Squared. We're doing very good today. We had a great morning so far. It's a little overcasty out, a little cold out, but that's okay. You know what? I like that. Fits. Yeah, I'm falls, a big fall fit guy. Fall's my time to shine. I was mm. born in October. I'm an autumn baby. Mm. I love the 18 to 20 degree weather. Bring it on. No, I eat that shit up, man. Absolutely. I love the cool weather, bro. I sweat. Like, I'm Italian, so I'm a sweater. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, Jacob, you're a very influential figure in Ottawa's thrifting and vintage clothing scene. Um, you, you're the co-founder of the Fly Market, which is the Fly's Flea Market in Ottawa. That was my first time going, the recent one on July 3rd. And I met the coolest people, saw the coolest articles of clothing there. And we're going to get into that later on. But before we do that, I want to figure out what got you to the position you're in now? Who is Jacob Sparks? Well, honestly, when I was, I've always been very fashion obsessed. Like, I, I fucking love throwing a fit together. Um, so when I was in high school, I grew up broke. I, I would struggle to buy shit for myself as frequently as I wanted new things. Because, you know, we're in a consumer age. I wanted mm -hmm. a new pair of Nike SB Dunks every weekend. It wasn't very realistic, though. So I started, you know, buying and selling my own personal shit so I could go afford new stuff as frequently as I wanted to buy it. And eventually that turned into thrifting items for as cheap as I could find them because I had plenty of friends who were, you know, nostalgia enthusiasts and, and super into retro clothing from when we were in high school. We're talking like about 12 years ago. Um, I would go find the best of the best that I could skip class, head down to South Keys to Value Village, was very, very not concerned with school. I just wanted to get cool clothing as often as possible. So it just kind of snowballed from there. It started with me selling shit off so I could buy new stuff for myself. And then I started to realize like there was actually money to be made in it. Mm. And uh, from there, yeah, it just kind of, it took off and I became obsessed with buying and selling. I love it. I love the concept of finding something. You've got to put the work in. It's not like just a given, but putting the work in to find something that you can turn around and make a quick 150 or 200 bucks off of is such a good feeling for sure. Mm, yeah. Cause would you say the love from it just came from like, was there like any nostalgic feel to it? Like you would see retro shit and it would just take you back and like, this is my type of apparel. This is what I vibe with. Absolutely. To be honest, it's funny. It took a it took a while for it to turn into like just t-shirts, which is for vintage. That's what I'm really obsessed with is old t-shirts. Um, but at the beginning, it was everything, and I was super into you know. I played football as a kid. I skateboarded. Still do as like a mode of transportation. But finding shit that hit that nostalgia factor, like finding an old Philadelphia Eagles snapback or finding an old Ottawa Senators with the Tooney logo jersey mm. super exciting finding anything old skateboarding which is so rare because all the kids wore it and skateboarded in it and fucked it up <laughs> that's like one of the best feelings in the world so f yeah i i mean i was into everything at first though hats especially snapbacks like old vintage hats yeah. that was like one of my first obsessions as well for sure word yeah well you you worked in retail for a long time how long did you say again about 10 years i did retail i worked i was a floor manager at normal I worked with Robbie Falldown G at Falldown Gallery for about three or four years. Shout out. Shout out to Big Brother. Um, I worked at Walkin' for the first year of it being in Ottawa. I worked at Urban Outfitters. I did it all, really. Like I, I broke into 
a little bit of corporate retail, but for the most part, it was local shops, streetwear-based, art, skateboarding-based stuff. Right, right. So did your work in retail play a role into your love for vintage, or was it just kind of actually contradictory? No, honestly, it kind of propelled it. So when I started at Fall Down, I was 18 years old. So this is 10 years ago now. Um, there was always a little section of vintage. We had like a, a third story that was only like one quarter of the length of the whole shop. So you'd get to the back of the store. There was a staircase that you'd go up and it was kind of like a lookout. We'd have our DJs up there because there was a cutout so they could DJ up there and the whole floor was a dance floor during the art shows and events and stuff. But there was always a vintage rack up there. And that's what like got me. There was this dude, uh, shout out Walker Tamblin. He, he was killing the game years and years ago, selling Burberry items he had found and, and cool old knits and stuff like that. And that really got me into it because that was his full-time gig. It was like the first person I met who didn't have a shop and didn't operate out of a space and was making enough money to sustain himself strictly through thrifting and sourcing vintage goods. And that like... That like really, you know, caught caught my eye. I was like, yo, that's what I want to do. Like, fuck having a boss or clocking in anywhere. Like, let me just yeah. go. F and I was a shopping addict on top of it, right? Yeah. Like, as I said, I wanted stuff every weekend. Fit. So there was like a means to qualm that addiction and also make it productive, which was awesome. Like, that saved me, to be honest, because I was to the point where I was buying and selling shit so fast, sometimes you couldn't necessarily keep up with it and you're overspending and you're overbuying. But when it turned into something productive for me that's yeah that that's really changed my have. outlook on it you know yeah yeah it, it turned from like a problem to actual good problem to that's have once exactly you to make a it very a good problem yeah because yeah. i've talked to other people in the vintage scene i don't want to list any names but they said um kind of the opposite because they worked in retail and they hated it and it kind of turned them off like seeing how the sausage was made and it turned them off from the retail side of things so it's interesting to see how that actually kind of propelled your interest in it Absolutely. I think, you know, I, w I was fortunate to work in such a, a community driven space like fall down. The art shows were collective. We had 50 different artists on the wall, typically when we were hosting art shows. And I don't know, it was just cool. It was like a cool environment to be in. It didn't make me bitter about it. it wasn't until years later when I started working at Urban Outfitters and it was like folding the same stack of fucking mom jeans all day <laughs> and like dealing with 15 year old girls leaving the change room in disarray like that shit will get to you working that kind of retail job sucks but when you can work somewhere that's like kind of a hub for the community it really really i never there was never a day i was going to work at fall down where i was like ah fuck you know like yeah ah, i gotta be at work for eight hours it was like sweet i'm gonna like skate around the shop you know yeah. we'd literally <laughs> like skateboard in the shop we had a basketball net set up in there for a while that sounds I, like a vibe we yeah, need that in here hell of a vibe dude we'd sit there and just shoot play horse and like yeah it was fun man it was fun as hell so it never made me jaded about it and that's where all the vintage really was was at all my retail experience has definitely helped with you know personality wise mm -hmm. connecting to customers when they come shop your event and now that instagram has moved towards this live stream content I can really pump my new page through my personality being present uh -huh. it's not just a grid of really cool shirts you're going to see me live for 15 hours a week or so where you can talk to me and interact with me and hang out with me. And that's really changed the game for sure. Wow, yeah, no, that's awesome. Because Instagram's also taken a very business-heavy approach where they're really trying to support the business profiles on Instagram. So 
That's why you see everyone and their mom having a vintage profile on Instagram. It's true. My uh, girl just started hers. It's coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> Sneak that in there. But uh, So you worked in retail a long time, but you're done now. You're doing Fly Market, Single Stitch Club, full-time now. When did you decide to quit and take this on full-time? About 10 days ago now. Whew. The mall was going to open back up. So for the last about year or so, I mean, it's hard to really gauge how long I worked there for because so much of it was for lockdown. I was an assistant manager at Hot Topic selling weirdos Funko Pops all day and fucking anime shirts and it drove me insane. Like I couldn't handle the, I wasn't used to that demographic at all. Right. I worked in streetwear and kind of like, you know, for a lack of better terms, more cultured shops than that. So when it turned into this like really fringe of society customer base I had to deal with all the time, it got to me. That was like the final straw. Working at a Hot Topic. The pay was good. I was in management. I had benefits. I just got all my teeth fixed and shit right before I quit. <laughs> shout out shout out Blue Cross. Um, but yeah, I had to get out of there, dude. I had to do it. So it was like two days before the mall was going to open up. I hit up my, my coworker, the other manager there, and I was like, I'm not coming back, dude. Yeah. And she was like, you know, she was a little jarred by it for a second. She was like caught off guard for sure. But she gets it. She sees the success I'm having with everything else I'm doing. Now that fly market's going to be a monthly thing again, hopefully by the time the cold weather runs in, we can host them indoors mm -hmm. again. Uh, she gets it, you know. She Why? understood it was kind of secondary to you. That's it. Why spend 20 days a month, you know, 160 hours a month in a place that hinders your progress, mm -hmm. right? If you're, if you're spending that much time on anything and it's not like growing you and growing your position in life, it's not worth it. And that was a very stagnated job for me. There was no, I didn't, if they, they could have offered me a full store management position, they could have been like, yo, we're going to open Hot Topic Montreal for the first time ever. You want to go run it? I still would have told them no, because it's like not my thing. Yeah. You know? It didn't feel right. So, so what was going through your head, like leading up to you quitting? Honestly, the podcast success uh, lately, my my new page is only about, it's about 10 weeks old now, just a little less, and it's at 2,200 followers, you know, um, fly, to, to put that in perspective, Fly Market's account is about two and a half years old, and we're just about to hit 4K, so I'm over halfway the Fly Market mark in nine weeks, so you. it's like, fuck it, let's just fully commit to this, let's do it properly, we've had great guests, and the growth has been so good. Um, there's such a direct line to, to immediate sales when you need them through the Instagram live auctions that I just figured, why not just commit? You know, this mm -hmm. is the time to commit. And in the first few days of not going back to the mall, I made three times as much money as I would have going back to the mall. So it's, it was the right decision already as it's right. Yeah, yeah. Cause that's the thing too. Like now post quitting you're, you're juggling a lot of things you got a whole bunch of ventures going on between the fly market single stitch club and the podcast you keep mentioning T tell me a bit more about that because i want being a podcaster i want to find out more about it of course so right now we only host through instagram live it's very bare bones we only started about five or six weeks ago um it's all vintage t-shirt community based but we get into a lot more than that so I hosted alongside two friends of mine, Jeremy at End of the World Vintage from Brooklyn and Joe at Champagne Room with Sinatra from Boston. Uh, we call it Coffee and Jays because we're all named Jacob, Joseph, and Jeremy. Right. Uh, we're always drinking coffees. I usually smoke a joint while we're hosting the live as well. It's a vibe. And we'll have a fourth on each day, a different fourth member from the Vintage T-Shirt community 
come on and chop it up with us. We've had, and it's kind of crazy too, because I've realized how many um, figureheads of other industry are involved with the t-shirt community. For instance, we had a gentleman on who did styling for a Jordan Peele film that's being filmed right now. Wow. So he gave cl- uh, wardrobe for that movie two weeks ago. We had a gentleman on who uh, did voice work for BoJack Horseman and developed <laughs> a song for BoJack Horseman on Netflix. We had a dude who's been a music video director for Stone's Throw record labels for about 12 years. So Stone's Throw hosted like MF Doom, Mind Design, um, really, really crazy, good, beautiful artists, beautiful musicians. Uh, he's been a music video director for that label for like 12 years. He did a music video for Snoop Dogg when he did a, an album with Stone's Throw a couple years ago. That's crazy. Um, we've had a gentleman on, so I'm sure people who are familiar with Vintage, you know, Jerry Lorenzo from Fear of God, he at one point was buying vintage T-shirts to print Fear of God on and then resell them as repurposed Fear of God vintage shirts we had the dude who sold Jerry Lorenzo those vintage tees on uh, within the first week or two of hosting the event. He was technically co-credited with um, styling the wardrobe for Justin Bieber's Purpose Tour because of that. Because Justin Bieber wore a bunch of those Fear of God right, uh, Jerry right. Lorenzo vintage tees. That's Tyranny and Mutation. Shout out Rick Moe from, from New York as well. So just in the like five and a half weeks we've done it, we've had this crazy pedigree of That's guests. a killer rollout. It blows my mind. The people who are willing to come on and talk to us every day. And we host the shit at 10 in the morning. So for the West Coast dudes, a bunch of those people I just named are West Coast cats. They're waking up at 7 in the morning just to talk with us for two hours. Us three degenerates <laughs> about whatever the hell we want to talk about. It's great. I love it. And it's gone so well. Shout out Jeremy for bringing me and Joe kind of under his wing. Um, He's the bigger account between the three of us. He's up to like 12,000 followers now. Uh, He's really put us on and helped us grow immensely. And we have a bunch of crazy shit in the works Mm -hmm. coming for Instagram Live and for live events in the next year when I'm allowed to get out to the U.S. with them as well. Yeah, that's dope. But yeah, they're from the U.S. Like, where are you meeting? Like, aside from the guests, because that's a killer rotation of guests, first of all. But even the hosts, they're all from, you said Boston and where? And Brooklyn. Jeremy's from Brooklyn. Joe's from Boston. So Jeremy himself, he's been hosting uh, Instagram Live, Open Lives, they're called, for the last, like, year or so, where um, you kind of just hop on live with him real quick, and you can sell a shirt or two to an audience there that's bidding in real time on the the product you want to sell. Um, and we kind of just vibed right away. The first time I hopped on to chop it up with him, usually you're in and out in like five, six minutes. You sell Mm -hmm. the shirt, you say thank you. And you're like, peace. But we talked for like 20, 25 minutes and Joe and Jeremy had a thing where they were kind of just, Joe was the first one on the open live every morning for, for like three weeks. They would chop it up for like a half an hour. It was the same deal. Like they just had great chemistry. So there was one morning where I'm off work and Joe and Jeremy are, are talking shit about something and I can't remember what it was, but I had like way more than two cents on the subject. I was like, yo, let me in, let me, t- let me chop it up with you guys real quick. And it kind of just was so natural. So we did that for three more days in a row and one of my old coworkers from Hot Topic hit me up and was like, yo, you guys have great chemistry. You should make this a legitimate like morning show podcast thing. I took a screenshot of that message right away and sent it out to the other two homies. And they were like, let's do it. Five hours later, Jeremy hit Joe and I with the name of the podcast and the concept. 
and we were like, yo, let's let's run it. And it's been great so far. It's a good way to start the day. I mean, you guys know, yeah. just to have a nice conversation with a few people to start off any morning, it's hard to like finish that episode and be in a shitty mood for the rest of the day. You know, I'm <laughs> yeah, usually 100%. like, okay, cool, that was sick. As yeah. if that person's involved with, you know, X, Y, Z, and I and I like have I talk to them every day. Like that's cool as hell. Yeah. So it's wicked. No, that's how it happens though. Like you know, you never pictured how it's gonna happen. It just happens naturally like that. Mm-hmm. But it's dope to see that you kind of are taking this like globally. Like you're talking to people in the states, even like the guests you're having on. Like you're dealing with people that are in the thrift communities that are spread out North America. Beyond North America, next weekend Jeremy will be hosting Team USA versus Team Australia New Zealand. That one will be uh, co-hosted by our homie Mark Ebrill at Second Chance Vintage New Zealand. You know, it's in the namesake. The dude's on the other side of the planet. So it's a very international community. I've sold shirts to the Philippines, to Malaysia, to New Zealand, Australia, Sweden, uh, Brazil, fucking Madrid. (laughs) You know, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. My... Honestly, on Single Stitch Club specifically, my following is probably 5% Canadian, 95% international. Wow. Okay, yeah. so let's talk about that because you just started that this year, right? Brand new. It's, uh, yeah, as I said, it's like nine weeks old, that page. Wow. Okay, so what made you, like, what's the diff? like, what were you doing before that? So um, I kind of started to hop into the live community on Fly Market's IG page. Okay. And it was going really well. There was an immediate bump in growth on fly markets ig which was nice and i started posting like kind of crazy shirts but i feel so cynthia and i both felt that it was kind of alienating the local following for fly market a lot of the people who come to the event a lot of the people who come shop at the event are there (coughs) pardon me they're there for affordable garments they're there to buy like 50 dollars nike jackets you Mm. know adidas track pants Maybe some nice bags, something like something a bit more, you know, consumable, a little more attainable. The stuff I post, you know, it's, it's as we were saying, the shirt on my body right now, I would not let go for less than probably about 1600 US dollars. So when the audience starts to see these crazy fucking shirts get posted on the page, they're like, oh, is this what the event's going to turn into? Is mm. there like... Is there even an event anymore? Or is this just now a t-shirt page? Like, is this an archive of someone's collection all of a sudden? So we felt it best to separate those two things, those two subject matters. Not only does the Insta page for Fly Market, the name is indicative of, of an event. Mm-hmm. The real Fly Market, it's a market event. It didn't fit so well in the t-shirt selling realm. Like, when I hopped into lives, people would like kind of look funny at the name like what's up with this name it's kind of weird it doesn't really suit what what he's doing so single stitch club is more yeah it's more just dedicated to my my personal collection of shirts and the shirts that I buy and sell some of them are very expensive I I do have some affordable shirts um that I post on capital city vintage it's kind of just like a mids page I run with the homie here locally but yeah the single stitch club's Mo, if you go look at all the shirts I've posted already, I'd say the cheapest shirt on there is probably about 150 US dollars, and they range up to 10 to 20 times that. Wow. Yeah. So, like, how do you go about determining the value of something like that? Well, you got to look at comps, of course, what things are selling for. So eBay can kind of leave things askew. A lot of people try and find price comps on eBay for stuff like that, but 
you know, you could see a really high number that something sold for and it was a fake bid and a fake sale. Someone bought it from their se- themselves with their own ghost account just to like make it look like the shirt's worth that People much. Do that shit. Oh, for sure. It happens all the time. <laughs> Likewise, you can see a shirt that's for a number where you're like, no way, no way I could find it for that. And it's just because one lucky person found it for that cheap number. That's not the value of it. My homie was saying it the other day. He found a great, put it in perspective, we found a great steal for a shirt that should be worth 350 bucks. He found it for 80 Dude on eBay is like, well, look, there's a pre- there's a sale right here for 80 bucks. That's probably what they actually sell for. But it's like, no, I got that for 80 bucks. And now that you want it from me, it's not that number. And I got it because I saw it within 30 seconds of it being posted on the internet. So, yeah, you can look at price comps on eBay. You can look at, at price comps. For me, the big thing is because of the Instagram live auctions I do so frequently, you can see what things sell for in real time so, so frequently because there's live auctions happening almost Mm 24-7. I watch them quite a bit. I'm kind of a vulture. I float around looking for the good deals to try and snag out of people, say there's a small viewership in a certain live, something like that. But you can get price comparisons like that. So I see... You know, Bay Club tag uh, rap tees like this with this many colors with the crazy back print like this. I see them go anywhere from fifteen hundred to twenty five to three thousand U.S. dollars. So that's kind of where I bench my price at is somewhere in the middle. I find the happy medium. Right. So what is, what's the negotiation process like between other sellers? Is it pretty? I feel like it would be because you're saying like there's kind of comps and people understand a shirt like that would go for everybody between 15 to 2000 like so does everybody just kind of have that general knowledge or is it kind of frustrating no definitely not uh, a big th- like for me when i'm dealing in a sh- in a price point like that i try and work with people i've already done business with someone you can trust someone you know is knowledgeable of the product and is aware of the value um Honestly, for the most part, the people who don't know, they'll hit you up in the DM. They'll be like, yo, what's the size and how much? And then I tell them, and then they never answer me again. <laughs> That's the usual, like, if you don't know what the value is, when I tell you what it is, nine out of ten times, you're going to be like, I'm never answering this person right. ever again. But you have the occasional person who's like, yeah, I yeah, I see that, yeah. and I don't blame you, and I understand it. Shout out those people. Yeah. I got a liver to sell. I'll be back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that... I want to get into the fly market now. I want to hear it from your words because I've heard I've explained it on the podcast before. I've heard other people explain it. In your words, what is the fly market? Fly market is a streetwear and vintage-based cultural event that happens in Ottawa, Canada, where a bunch of like-minded people with a really good sense of style who are able to cater to people's needs in a, in that specific demographic meet and sell and buy and trade and it's a crazy beautiful thing what inspired you to start it because it's not just you two by the way no it's my my business partner cynthia blair and i so cynthia has been an event promoter and night nightlife promoter here in ottawa for about 10 or 15 years now and she's been also buying and selling vintage under her page vanity vintage apparel for about that long as well she's she's a legend of the game she's one of the first in ottawa to be doing what all these kids are doing now we're talking yeah 10 plus years ago um 
So we used to we used to vend together at an event at Babylon nightclub here on Bank Street, rest in peace, uh, once a month. And, you know, it was pretty light. We'd just bring a couple racks set up at the back of the bar in the kind of open space vibe and sell some clothes. And one night she, you know, she was like, we should just do this on a bigger scale, organize it, get the vendors together, find the space and make a business out of it. And I was like, that sounds like a dream life. I was like, this is something I have a million ideas for instantaneously. Like yeah. with within a second, I was like, oh, fuck yeah, we can do this, that, and the third for it to make it cool and, and make it exciting and blah, blah, blah. So it just, she said it, and I, without hesitation, I was like, yep, that's what we're doing now. That's and dope. it's just snowballed from there. It's gotten crazy. So what was... uh? What was that process like, like actually putting this idea into action, especially here in Ottawa? So, I mean, ultimately it just came from, we had to let it resonate for a bit. We started, we got the email, we got like the Instagram handle that was appropriate for it. Um, we slowly started to like let our friends know who were kind of involved with nightlife or, or, or event organization. Uh, we kind of like snuck the word out to them a little bit. We let it, um, we let it kind of word of mouth spread for a little bit until we finally hosted our first event at uh, 27 club downtown. It was during the day. So it was an all ages event, but, um, yeah, it came from a little bit of, a little bit of word of mouth spread. And then honestly, it was a shot in the dark. We didn't know if the first event was going to turn out dope or not. We were yeah. like, we took vendor fees from vendors and we were like, fuck man, hopefully people come through and actually buy stuff. Otherwise we'll have to like refund these people. And this is like a one and done. But the very first event, a lot of people came through. I myself, and again, I can't be at my booth the whole time. I have to run around and make sure things are operating smoothly. I do a little bit of what you do, what you were doing at the event Saturday. Right. I go around and take style shots. I, I'll go IG live for a little bit and do a, a rundown of the booth. And I still made like 1500 bucks in sales in the very first fly market. So I was like, hey, I did this number in sales and I could barely be at my booth and I barely had product <laughs> with me. I know all these people did very well. So yeah, it just it just worked. We had no idea why. All we did was make a Facebook event. We had 400 followers on our Instagram at the time probably and it really, really worked. Like a lot of people came through and from there, you know, each event has gotten bigger. Every time we host an event, people are sharing on Instagram like, oh, this is what I got at Fly Market, yeah, you know, yeah. come check us out at Fly Market and it just snowballs. So every time... We're not hosting an event. The page stagnates a little bit. We do what we can to keep it active. Mm -hmm. But the week before and the week after an event and the day of the event, the, it, the page is fucking crazy, man. Yeah. It's like exploding. You can barely keep up with sharing the stories. I have to pick and choose stories I got to share. Otherwise, it just looks like I've shared the same. Yeah, it's a white girl's Instagram story times. that's like two hours long. Yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> it. It's that. Every, every event day. That's it. Good luck getting through all of our stories. Yeah. They're just dots at the top of the screen. <laughs> so what, what year was it when it first started? It would have been the very first event was 2019. 2019. 2019. Now we're 2021. You've had a bunch since then. So how what's it been like seeing where it's come since then and how it's grown? Well, you know, the fact that we've had these major hiatuses um, from covid and lockdown like we should have been doing them initially it was every two months that's how frequently we were having them bi-monthly event um and we do it indoors when the weather was shitty like we just keep it going all year round so when that 
when COVID happened and we couldn't do that anymore, the progression stopped quite a bit. I lost obviously a ton of money from not being able to host and, and sell at the event over that time span as well. So to see that it's still, even after six months of not having an event whatsoever, even longer, I think before last Saturday, it was like maybe nine months since our event prior to that, it was still as successful as it yeah. was. And all these people were desperate to get involved. It was such a good feeling. And it makes me very hopeful for the for when we're on a track of doing it monthly and we're allowed to be inside all together and we can hug our friends and smooch each other on the lips again. Yeah. And that shit's happening all year round. It's going to be insane. It's going to be hard to maintain it. It's going to be hard to get everyone who wants to be involved involved because every day I receive messages like, hey, can I vend at the next event? Can you know, how do I get involved? This, that and the third for anyone who's asking that question. It's very simple. Every so often, we put the application live in our bio on the real fly market. We leave it open for about three to five days because in that time period, way more people than we can host apply for the event. So when you see that application link go live in the bio, folks, apply then. Don't badger me about it in the DMs like crazy. It's just not going to work out for you. That's awesome, though, that you got a surplus of people dying to be a part of this event. And you can bunch. see it. Like, I felt it when I was there that everyone everyone knew you. Everybody was, like, praising you. And I got a nickname for you that I'm hoping you consider accepting. Okay, let's hear it. The gatekeeper. The gatekeeper. Now, here's the thing about that. I do like that, but gatekeeping has a negative connotation. I would rather have the gates way open. Let them right. fly open. I would love to be able to host Fly Market bi-weekly and have everyone who wants to be involved, involved. It does suck to have to tell someone no. That's like, honestly, my least favorite thing in the world is to be like, sorry, folks, we're booked up. Especially yeah. with the venue we're working at right now, it's so small. We can only have about 20 booths in total. So uh, I hate it, man. I hate having to gatekeep, to be honest. Because I, I was going to ask. But like, I do understand where, where you get it from, for sure. Because everyone there was like, like, you can tell that people are dying to be a part of it. So I'm curious, like, how do you go about saying yes and no and deciding who's in and out? Well, I, you know, I'm pretty meticulous about it. I keep a note, a list of notes for priority so if i have to say no to someone in scenario a because it's fully booked i'm i make sure to write on a list priority for following event so that we're always rotating and always having new people there there's a couple staple vendors you're gonna see every time because they've been with us since the very first mm, event the day one and without them it wouldn't be where it is right now so you're gonna see the same f there's a few you know there's a few repeat uh repeat offenders who are going to be there every time but i try my best to have new people involved at every single event it's otherwise the event doesn't grow the page doesn't grow if it's the same group of people sharing the event every time we lead up to it it's not going to get very far mm -hmm. so i try my best to always rotate out i could sh like i have a list of people right now i'm not going to say their names but i have a list of people right now for um for the august event because the second one in july is already booked up so August how, priority. How many vendors are there in total? Um, for the for the venue we work at right now, shout out Clock Tower and Top of the World for uh, being our gracious uh, space givers and hosts. We can have about twenty booths in total. Okay. Typically, Cynthia and I have a booth each, or maybe we'll do like one and a half together. Okay. 
Um, but other than that, we have yeah about 18 to 20 vendors involved with, with each event right now. The biggest event we've had had uh, 38 vendors. It was at the Rideau Curling Club, and we're really hoping to get back to that venue for for uh, cold weather indoor mm. events again. That's kind of what I was going to say is, would that be what the next move is with this, is finding bigger venues so you can have like 50 vendors and you're saying no to absolutely nobody. That's exactly the plan. So we were already pretty much there with Rito Curling Club. We were waiting for it to get to the point where they melt the ice from the rink and we'd have the entire rink room there. So that you'll see Fly Market in that rink space in the future. And in that venue, we can do, um, I'd say, a minimum of 40 vendors with the rink. You could probably do four rows of 10 vendors in that rink. So that'll be a, a nice big event. But we do have to keep in mind, like, we don't want to charge the vendors a million dollars to be there. We actually, our price is very, com- very competitive with what a lot of the other uh, vintage markets will charge you, like outside of Toronto or even some of the... Vintage markets in Ottawa will charge you. We keep it very competitive. So we have to find spaces that are affordable in our range, work with what we get in the end, our final cut after paying DJ, security, whoever we have to pay for. We usually have to buy site insurance, liability insurance. Um, So all that stuff factors into the cost for us. So we try to find the biggest venue possible for the least amount of money possible, obviously. (laughs) But there's kind of a, a, t- a fine line you got to work within. Mm-hmm. So through the fly market, does it does it feel like you're building a community? I mean, I feel like I feel like fly market um, highlights Ottawa's vintage community. There isn't a really an event that is dedicated specifically to vintage streetwear here in Ottawa. Besides ourselves, we're the only ones doing it in the exact format that we do it. So it de- definitely puts like a magnifying glass on all these people and the fact that we do have like cool stuff happening in the city of Ottawa. I was saying it to another person in an interview recently, like you walk around the city of Ottawa, you don't necessarily see how much art and culture really exists here in the city because it's such a government town. But I've always used the description as Ottawa is a very beige place to live. Yeah. But Fly Market highlights it. You come there and it's like the beige is the last fucking color you use to describe it. It's like a rainbow. It's so multicultural Mm -hmm. and diverse and and there's so many different, you know, subcultures of people there. You see punks roll through. You see high fashion nerds roll through. You see um, sneakerheads roll through. You see people who are just into vintage and that's all they want to shop while they're there. So it's a real like you know, coming together of the cultures for Ottawa, which mm-hmm. is awesome. I love that answer because even for us here, um, we started off kind of being like, we want to build the culture here in Ottawa and be have a huge role in that. And then as we started doing stuff in, you know, the music industry and just with local business owners like yourself, I start seeing that there is a culture here. Our job isn't to build the culture. It's actually just to shed light on that culture because Ottawa is very slept on and it shouldn't be because there's crazy dope shit happening here all the time. And the fly market really opened my eyes for that because that's something that I would only imagine happening in cities like Toronto, Montreal. I was just going to say, if our talent would stop moving to Toronto and Montreal, <laughs> we have a bit funner of a city, you know? So I think creating events like fly market and doing things, you know, doing things in that vein within the city of Ottawa, hopefully will encourage more creatives to stick around here. Because that's all it takes is enough of us not leaving the city of Ottawa 
for it to become a really cool place. Enough young entrepreneurs opening up venues for live music. Young folk hosting art shows. People putting really intense thought behind the events that they want to host will make Ottawa that much more fun and desirable to be at and live in. So I'd like to think we're slightly part of that process at least. It feels like here being a newcomer, like I hear that a lot. People need to stay. And it feels like people in the city have abandonment issues almost. And we need to kind (laughs) of stop that. (laughs) It's crazy, man. Uh, I get it. Montreal is beautiful. Toronto kind of sucks. It's big. (laughs) It's expensive. People are so mean, but I get it. Montreal is beautiful. I love that city as well. I've almost moved there a hundred times myself, but Doing what I'm doing here now, I, I like I'm very confident that we can get Ottawa to a point where live um, art, music, culture, fashion, that shit's happening yeah. every day of the week. Yeah, let's let's build on that a little bit though. Where do you see Ottawa's resale fashion industry in comparison to city like Montreal and Toronto? I mean, so they're a lot more competitive and cutthroat in Toronto and Montreal because there's so many more people involved with it. I'm, it's getting to a point in Ottawa where you can't really go to any thrift without seeing someone you know uh, they're doing what you want to be doing so you can be pretty sure that they already found all the good stuff but Toronto and Montreal it's yeah it's very cutthroat there's a lot of events happening there um, I feel like it's it's still very community driven in those two cities though like not to talk shit. On, on the vintage community and resale community in either place because they, there is a big group of people in both cities that are there for each other, that look out for each other. Um, shout out Flow Market in Montreal. A lot of great vendors come together to make that event happen. Shout out Fleek Market in Montreal as well. Um, you know, that's another like cultural hub for that city that only happens twice a year and a lot of great people get together and just laugh and have fun and live it up. But I see Ottawa's uh, resale market is just going to keep growing, I think. I mean, when you realize you can make a living by buying and selling stuff you're really into versus like going and sitting at a desk all day and hating your life after 10 years, it's pretty hard to say no to it, you know? Do you worry about that, though? Because you got into it with through your love and passion for vintage. But now, like I said earlier, everyone and their mom has an Instagram page about thrifting. So do you feel like... Um, It'll, the love for it will kind of fade because people are just seeing like, oh, I can monetize off this like for real now and then it just won't have the same passion behind it. There's going to be some culture vultures always and I think with anything that happens, you saw it in sneaker culture a handful of years ago, like 10, 12 years ago, sneaker culture was not at all what it is now. It's not the same beast. Um, people are there to exploit and to make money and that's all they're concerned with. But, you don't see the longevity with those accounts. You don't see the longevity with those people. They're not going to put their their time in to grow because they don't really care. They're there for the quick buck. They're there for the fast buck. They're not there for the long term. So I'm not too worried about that myself. I feel like you'll see a lot of moving pieces, people coming in, getting out, coming in, getting out. But if the whole time you're running your vintage account, you're like going to university to become a psychologist or some shit, I'm really not worried about you like stepping on my toes. Word. You have your own focus. This is a side gig you do for fun for now. It's probably going to be a thing of the past for you when you finish your schooling and move on to your like quote unquote real job. Right. So that shit doesn't doesn't uh, 
doesn't vex me too much. And truthfully, the more of those little accounts that get into it and out of it and into it and out of it, that's just more customers and clients coming through, to be honest. The more people to buy and sell to is a good thing. True. I like how you said, quote unquote, real job, because the narrative's changing. My mom told me she wishes she grew up in our era because when she was growing up, it was either be a lawyer, doctor, or businessman slash mm-hmm. woman. And now it's like, she sees me like we're running an entertainment company. I'm dealing with artists through our Down the Beat podcast, the John and Lafika host, and like people are actually making careers out of it. You, this is very lucrative for you, and like it's it's your passion too. So it's awesome to see this type of stuff happening, especially in this city where you don't see stuff like that happening. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my mom says the same shit, but kind of, she she's almost on the opposite end. I could have a job, and my mom and pops. They'll both be like, get a job, you know. If you don't have enough job, you only have one job. What's the matter with you? You should. You don't you know? have enough job. You don't, you don't have enough job. You only you're forty hours a week. Come on, I, your age, I had sixty-seven hours a week. I had three kids. You know, it's like, yeah, that's why you guys are all miserable. Like my, gen- my generation is out here to not like hate life by the time we're fifty. So straight up, yeah. man, we're putting in sixty-hour weeks for for the stuff for that's free, cool. just so that one day we can be living good off our yeah our passions. And you know me, I'm not out here for wealth. I have no aspiration to be like you know a, a giant of vintage. You won't I, be happy by the end of the day. That's not my thing. I just want to be able to sustain myself, mm-hmm. live comfortably. You know, would mm-hmm. like to have a family in the future. So if I could pay for a couple kids to go to school at the end of it. Wicked. I did yeah. my job, I think. So you're doing exactly what everyone else is doing with the quote-unquote real jobs, except you're actually loving life. Yeah, exactly. Um, so No disrespect to you. If you no, want to no, be no. a psychiatrist, and that's what makes you happy, go do it and do it to the best you can do it. Yeah, I have my days where low-key, I'm like, I'm jealous. I wish I had a 9-to-5 right now. This shit's hard. But mm-hmm. when it's all said and done, um, I like the paths that people are you know, risky now to take a path that they feel is right for them. That's it. Um, so what's... F- like? Going back to the fly market, what is the fly market's role in impacting uh, Ottawa's community? Well, we're definitely um, something to do every every month, or every couple weeks for, for this month, I should say. But, you know, sometimes Ottawa does get a little stagnant because there's not enough people hosting and creating events, and especially right now when that's kind of hard to do. So I'd say our role ultimately is at least once a month give you a really cool vibe give you a really cool experience and hopefully provide you with some super nice clothing, some good vintage yeah. gear, some sneaker gear, whatever it is you come to the event to shop for. Hopefully we, we mm-hmm. have that for you there. So the resale fashion industry in Ottawa, how do you feel about the sub markets that are coming out? You got like your high end fashion, you got the, just your basic vintage tees. Then you have the shoe resales, which is almost like it's whole other thing. What, like, what are your thoughts on all these little sub markets? Wow, the sneaker community in Ottawa is pretty decent. You know, I know a lot of those homies. I've been, I was, you know, I worked at Normal. I worked sneaker releases, Jordan releases, and Yeezy releases. I had to kick kids out of line and 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 deal with all that shit for years. It was a headache. Kind of, you know, made me bitter towards sneaker culture by the end of it. I'm not going to lie. But the community's great. I like those dudes. They're all, you know, those people. There's, they're great people involved with it. For me, what, I've, what I'm into now, these these crazy t-shirts, there's like seven of us. I'll be real. The Ottawa Sneakerhead Community Group on Facebook is like 11,000 members. For $1,500 t-shirts, there's like seven of us in the city of Ottawa who are really into it, you know? Shout out Fan at Warren Hub. Shout out Justin at LaRong Generation. Shout out Mark at Thrift Sola. Kenny at H-Pot. Avery at Retribution. Fuck, did I name them all? 
I think that's all of us, to be honest. Yeah. You know, that that's pretty much it. For for that for that demographic, we're small, man. We're finite. But I see the growth that's happening, man. Mm. I see I look at sneaker culture ten years ago, and that Facebook group only had fifteen hundred members to where it is now, and it's like booming. That's actually five years ago, I should say, sorry. I think I think uh, vintage is on that similar trajectory. I think it's gonna be a massive thing. The more musicians and artists and celebrities wear crazy garments like this, the more that's mm-hmm. gonna grow yeah, and rise. Yeah, definitely has a huge impact on it. Yeah. Do you feel like you're gonna like? Do you see it as like limiting yourself or putting yourself in a box by only focusing now on the like those specific tees? Well, I you know if you come shop my booth at Fly Market, I'll have maybe five T-shirts with me that are to that scale. None of them would be like this, to be honest. I usually cap myself at about three to five hundred dollars for the shirts I bring there. But if you come to my booth at Fly Market, you can shop all vintage. I'm not. I don't focus on one thing at Fly Market at all. And all the other stuff I do sell through Capital City Vintage. You need like your Tommy Hilfiger basics. You need your core classic vintage pieces. I still sell all that stuff. It's just not what I'm passionate about. Mm, true, true. Um, okay, so before we wrap things up here, here on the Down of the City podcast, we're all about showcasing all the amazing things happening here in Ottawa. Hence why we have you on the show today. So what's your message looking at camera right now? What's your message to the people of Ottawa? Support your friends who are trying to do cool things. If you have friends who want to be artists, who want to be creatives, don't ask them for deals and discounts. Pay them in full so they can feed themselves and pay their rent, support their passion. Um, because if, if we're not helping each other, if we're not looking out for each other when we're trying to do stuff like that, it really doesn't work out. And without a good network around you, you know, you're gonna you're gonna really hit a plateau. So mm-hmm. support your friends, support your creatives, buy their art, buy their food, buy their t-shirts. Mm. Where where can people find you before we go out? Single Stitch Club is the t-shirt IG. The real fly market is the is the IG for fly market. You guys can always find me there once a month, sometimes twice a month. And lastly, at Capital City Vintage is where you can find the affordable vintage goods I, I provide the city of Ottawa with. Um, other than that. Stay inside. You can't find me. I'm not on these streets. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> oh, man. It was a pleasure. I loved having you on, man. We got to do this again sometime. Yeah, man. I'm down whenever. I live five minutes away, so Where this is, is something I'll come outside for. Let's do it. We got to hop on <laughs> your podcast. Well, I guess we don't really have that much cool stories to tell about the thrift scene. Give it some time. Yeah. Give it some time. It doesn't have to be thrift specific as I, well, you know? We I, t- we chop it up with Hank about the Snoop Dogg music video way more than we talked about t-shirts that okay, day. Okay, word, you know? word. I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. All right, man. It was an honor. I'll see you at the next Fly Market. It's July 17th, by the way. That's it. You got to be there. 17th, guys. Uh, thanks, man. Cheers, everybody.